Hello, everybody. It's Patricia Noldrain, and I'm so glad you joined us for this podcast. First of all, you know that I'm talking to a millennial today because it's about millennials on the move. So, you know, she's a very young girl. You also know that she's going to talk to us about mindset. You know, mindset is everything. I don't care who we are, what stage we're in. Mindset is everything. So I can't wait to talk with Kema. And her name is Kema Hurley, and she is a licensed clinical professional counselor. That great. She has all those titles after her name. She's going to be really good. Kema, welcome to the call. I'm so glad you're with us today. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm super excited too. Now, Kema, I'm just so really wanting to know your whole story. But before we get into that, one of the first questions I ask people is, what were you like as a little girl? Maybe even if you could tell us a story about when you were a little girl, you know, five, six years old. You know, as I reflect back on that time, I think like it just brings a smile to my face because I think I just was, people would describe me as this light, this kind of ray of sunshine. I was super curious about the world, just full of joy, really passionate about everything, so excited and incredibly imaginative. So I was an only child, which... I think creates a little more imagination than maybe for children of siblings. I've never mm-hmm. had siblings, so I'm not sure. But <laughs> when I reflect back on that time, um, I think some of my favorite memories, my grandmother lived down the street from us and she had a big pool and that's where everyone would gather for all of our holidays and events and things like that. But for me, I got to go over all the time because it was just down the street. And so I remember just playing and splashing in the pool out in the sunshine, just making up, you know, sometimes I was a mermaid. (laughs) Mm. Sometimes there was like other mermaids with me, you know, using my imagination. So it was just constantly this, um, just exploring and hopeful about the future and the world and just super imaginative and creative in that world. But I'd say if I had to pick one word to describe me as a kiddo, it would be joyful. Wow. Do you know how few people can say that, Kema? <laughs> I'm sure you do, doing the work that you do. But I I almost started to drop this question because of the things that it would reveal on this mm-hmm. podcast. I would ask people, well, tell me about you when you were a little girl. And I wasn't even trying to dig deep into anything. And I'm going to say half of the people that I talk with, it it is not beautiful. It is not joyful and smiling and magical and creative at all for them. So you're very rare. Do you know that? Yeah. Yeah. I think, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people don't look back on their childhood really fondly. And, you know, I definitely had like some struggles as a kid, but um, definitely like five, six was a really cool, special time for me. Um, Just getting to play and enjoy and not have a lot of stressors or worries out in the world. I don't Mm. come from a background with trauma or things like that. So yeah, I definitely feel fortunate that I had Mm -hmm. great supportive family and just time to just be a kid. I didn't have adult problems yet to worry about like some kids do at five or six. Well, that's true. And I, the one gal that I interviewed, I really, when she started talking about when she was five and six, she started crying. And she said, but, it, you know, as bad as it was when I was five or six, it wasn't as bad as it was when I was 13 and, and got pregnant and had a baby. 
at 13. Yeah. I'm like, oh my Lord. I, I mean, who knew that I was going to open up that Pandora's <laughs> box? So welcome to the call, Kama. I'm so happy you're here. <laughs> so Kama, now every, all of us have career paths, you know, and some of us go in and out of things. Some of us stay in the same place the whole time. But take us on your career journey. Yeah, so I'm one of the few lucky people, again, that have just always kind of known what they wanted to do. I always knew I wanted to help people. I was just naturally drawn towards that. People are always drawn towards coming to me with things and wanting to talk to me. And then when I was 12, so I was junior high age in the library, I was just browsing through the book section and um, stumbled in the psychology section and picked up a Carl Jung book. And there's no way, like I had to look up probably every third word in the dictionary because it was (laughs) so (laughs) verbose and just difficult to read. But as I got through it, it just made so much sense to me. And it was like this moment of like, I've arrived. This is it. This is what I'm going to do. So, you know, that took me into an undergraduate in psychology. I originally had plans to go straight through and get my doctorate in psychology, but just was really burned out with school by the time I was done. I kind of over overdid it through high school and my undergrad. So I took a couple of years off and then went back to school and got my master's in counseling because I learned I didn't actually need a PhD for the kinds of things I wanted to do. And yeah, I've worked in mental health, you know, on and off for the last 20 years, but really have been licensed for the last 11. And it's been amazing. Uh, But in the last couple of years, I've really got burned out on the idea that the way our system works, that we need to take care of people in their mental illness, that insurance doesn't kick in, counseling doesn't really kick in for anybody until they're really struggling with their mental health. And I hate that. (laughs) Yeah. So the last couple of years, I've really made a shift towards coaching and really helping people with their mental wellness. I don't believe there's any reason for us to wait until people are really struggling or sick before we get them help. I think people who are really healthy that want to get healthier or want to improve certain areas of their lives or just want to dial in things better or become more passionate or more joyful or make more money or have better relationships, that they don't need to wait until things have fallen apart to do that, that you can do that at any point. And so I've really created a shift towards coaching because coaching is all about, you know, addressing things in the moment and in the future, not spending all this time going backwards or working from a mental illness perspective. That's interesting. You know, I I talked with a gal last week, I think it was, and she got her degree and her master's in social work. And she also felt exactly like you did. She said, all of a sudden, I knew I wanted to help people. I knew I was going to be very good at it. But all of a sudden, I was in the prison system, and she said, just being there, I thought, this is taking me down. This isn't helping me, and I'm poor besides, because they just didn't pay her well. And she went into coaching also, and now she's helping thousands of people do exactly what they want to do in their life and make the money that they should be making in their life, including herself. Yeah, helping professionals are usually one of my favorite clients to have because we were all taught, it was the same for me going through school, you're taught that either if you're going to help people, you're sort of taught that you're going to be poor. Yes, And I don't think that that's a negative thing. I think our professors, when I look back now, I think even as a student in my counseling program, I was making more money than some of my professors were. I think it's just kind of generationally passed down that... 
you know, you're in this industry not to make a lot of money to help people, which is great, mm-hmm. right? Yep. That yep. the image I had in my mind was Mother Teresa, right? Mm-hmm. She lived in poverty and helped all these people in poverty. And that's who you are if you help people. And that's what we're taught, where it's actually in my code of ethics that we have to give pro bono services and sliding scale services and help people for the sake of helping people, which is great. However, Mm -hmm. there's that mindset there that you can't help people and also live a financially healthy life yourself. And that's crap. (laughs) Yeah, it really is. Like we have, I think the job that we do is one of the most important jobs in the world. People's Mm -hmm. health and their mental health, there is nothing more important in the world, right? Without that, you have nothing. Yes. So we have this beautiful gift to give the world and people want it and they need it. And it's okay for us to say, hey, I have a fee for the services I charge. We don't need Mm -hmm. to feel guilty or bad about that. You know, and that's such an important lesson. And I really want people to hear that because you know, as a school teacher myself from years ago, I really loved teaching. It was it was my passion, and I loved those little children, and I couldn't even believe I got paid. But when I finally grew up <laughs> and became a professional, and I, I had the opportunity to go back to teaching or to become a speaker or a teacher of adults now, I, I couldn't go back into those classrooms. And yet I they really lost a good teacher when they lost me. Because I was paid at that time eighteen thousand a year. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just ridiculous. And and there again, there's one of the most important people in our life. That's our teachers that help us learn how to speak for heaven's sake and how to mm-hmm. add and how to do all the things in life, you know. So Kama, I can't agree with you more. And and I'm really sorry about uh anybody that's out there today, and especially the person listening. That is not making the money they deserve with what they know and with what they really can help another person with. You have to look at yourself today and think about it differently. So how did you shift your your mind about that, Kama? You know, I think there was just part of me really struggled watching. I had a lot of friends from my undergrad who went into things like sales, marketing, these other professions, they didn't go on to get their master's degrees. Some of them didn't even finish their bachelor's degrees. And they went on to make, they were making probably three or four times the amount of money that I was make, making. And I was staying up all night worrying about clients, whether or not they were going to survive the night. And my friends are out playing golf all day, making, mm-hmm. you know, a quarter of a million dollars a year. And I, there was just this time of me really contemplating it, going like, there's something It's not that they're doing something wrong, like good for them, but there's something wrong with our industry and there's got to be something going on with me that I'm willing to accept this, right? Like, so there became a shift for me to say like, okay, there's, this isn't what I want, right? Like I'd like to have, you know, a nice car and not feel guilty about it. I think Mm -hmm. the first nice car I ever bought, I used to hide in a different parking lot at work. So my clients wouldn't see it. I felt so guilty. Yep. About, you know, that somehow like me helping them with their pain has then like I've exploited it and now I'm benefiting from it. Like I really started to take a look at some of these thoughts that I had and recognize like the problem isn't necessarily just our society and the way we approach how we value helping professionals, but it's also my my specific mindset around it that I have a mindset that either you 
you're Mother Teresa, you help people and you're poor and you're okay with that. Or you make a lot of money and you're evil and you're, you know, you're rich, yeah. but you're evil. Yep. Mm -hmm. And so I started diving into that. And a book that I really liked that I found really helpful was, I think it's Jen Sincero, um, You're a Badass Making Money. Um, she has some exercises in there that are really great. And I found myself just adding to her exercises. So I love books that give you homework, right? That's, mm -hmm. that's what I do. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like she has an exercise in there where you write a letter to money, right? How do you feel about money? You know, my letter to money really was about how it wasn't consistent. It wasn't there for me when I needed it. It kept letting me down. It was in and out of my life like a bad boyfriend. But then I went on to write a letter to myself from money. Right. So I expanded on each of the exercises she had. And that letter was, you know, I couldn't have got there without the first letter, but it was even more powerful to say money writing back to me saying, like, you don't really appreciate me when you when I am there. Right. You're happy to see me when I first show up and then you just throw me out the door and forget forget all about me once I come around. Right. And so really exploring my relationship with money. What was my mindset about? Yeah, I had a scarcity mindset that there was never going to be enough money. But when money was in my life, I wasn't really appreciating it or doing anything to make sure it stuck around. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that is powerful. I love that that exercise. I, you know, I've heard the one about writing how you feel about money, but I've never heard about the the opposite. You know, just have money talk to you. And I love what you said. Well, you don't appreciate me when you have me. Well, mm -hmm. you don't do anything to keep me around. You know, you just kind of discard me. I mean, that's that's pretty powerful. Yeah, it was. It was just like getting a letter from an ex or, a, you know, in a relationship, hearing like, what's the other side of the relationship really saying if I take a look at it? And, and I wasn't. I wasn't doing anything to like really appreciate it or have gratitude or, you know. As silly as it sounds, like think it for being in my life or being around. Mm -hmm. I just mm -hmm. sort of assumed it would leave again. And so I didn't really, you know, spend much time on it when it was there. And then I'd be super sad once it was gone. <laughs> yeah, boy, that's a that if anything comes out of this, that is powerful to me anyway, listening. I hope it is to other people. But uh, you know, we talked about the mindset. And I know when I talked with you earlier. Kama, you were talking about mindset and how important it is. And, and really, that's what you deal with people today, helping them in your coaching. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. I think um, the most powerful tool we have is really the ability to choose one thought over another. And this doesn't really come to mind for a lot of people. We're not taught this. You know, I really believe if I could change our educational system, it would be a little less time and energy spent on math. And that might be painful to hear as a teacher, but <laughs> and a little more time spent on emotional health and understanding how our thoughts create our reality. Because that's really, really true. And it took me a long time to realize that, right? It took me a long time to realize that my thoughts about money create my reality and my relationship with money, right? Like, of course, if I believe I don't deserve to have money because I'm helping people, I'm never going to have it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It takes a shift in our thoughts to have it. Just like, you know, I do a lot of relationship coaching too. And people that don't believe they deserve love, they don't get love in their life. Not not healthy love, not healthy relationships. It really takes changing that mindset, which usually comes from our childhood, right? Changing that mindset that we have about what we deserve, 
what we should have, even being able to like learn how to dream about what we want because we don't create things that we don't realize are even a possibility for us, right? Like same with money. I was talking to a friend recently who grew up in a fairly wealthy family and has an incredibly um, lucrative job now. And we were talking about the differences in our childhood because I did have a very beautiful childhood. However, we didn't have very much money. We moved from Southern California to the middle of nowhere, Idaho, and grew up on, you know, we farmed our own food. We hunted our own food. If we didn't grow it or hunt it ourselves, we probably didn't have it, right? So I didn't really know we were poor, but I knew we didn't have very much money and no one around me did either. So it was not on my realm of possibilities that I would ever make a quarter of a million dollars a year, right? I never saw it happen. No one in my world did. So how would I ever know that's a possibility where this friend of mine, everybody that they knew grew up in families like that. And everybody that they knew also made a quarter million dollars a year, right? So for them, it was very normal because of course they could see it. They they uh-huh. could see that possibility for them where I didn't even know it was a possibility for me until I was 30 something. (laughs) So yeah, our thoughts and our ability to choose our thoughts and really help control our emotions too. Cause the other thing people struggle with is not knowing how, like, I don't know how to deal with my emotions when they get really difficult because we're never taught how to deal with that. We're taught how to have happy emotions and feel really good about those. And those are normalized, but thoughts like guilt and shame lonely, those things are really painful. And if you don't have someone to walk you through the process and teach you how to get through those motions, it's really hard to do. And once you learn that you can tolerate them, and once you learn that your thoughts control your emotions and change how you feel about things, the whole world opens up to you. Like really possibilities become endless at that point. That's wonderful. You know, I'm I'm going to give you a case study here because this happened to me last week. And I I was stumped with this one. This girl is, is one of my clients, and she came to me and she said, Patricia, I have no idea what to do. I have always made six figures. It's never even been an issue my whole entire life. And she said, to, I'm, I think she said she was 62 uh, now. And she said, and since last year, I have not, no, since July of this last year, she has not made $1 and now she's terrified because she's used up all of her savings and and she isn't married or anything so she can't depend on anybody else and she said i have no idea what has happened i completely i have completely shut down and i said well let's go back to july and f- figure out why you shut down and she said the only thing i can think of is the pandemic i mean i of course but all of us were in that and i see all my friends they're still making a ton of money even though we they went through a pandemic and I was stumped. I said to her, I'm going to have to get back to you. So this is a perfect time for me to get back to her through you <laughs> and say, this is what Kama said. And she really knows because she is a money coach. And so what would you say to that person? Well, one thing I'd want to know more about is her thoughts around the pandemic, right? Because what I see a lot of people trying to do is normalize it. We're all in it, so I should be fine. Right. Same with a lot of clients will say, I have a really great life. You know, I've got good family. I've got good situation, but I'm still feeling depressed. I have no reason to feel depressed. Like I shouldn't feel this way. Mm -hmm. Right. And so just because something is normalized doesn't mean that you're going to respond the same way as everybody else. Your unique situation, your unique life events that have gotten you to this point 
your unique life events that are occurring right now are really different than everybody else's. So, you know, your friends may be doing just fine and have husbands at home and maybe aren't feeling as lonely or are able to see their kids where other people aren't or whatever that is, or perhaps even the pandemic itself brings up specific fears. You know, people who had parents who grew up in the Great Depression lived very different lives growing up as kids with food backup and food storage and all of these things really coming from a scarcity mindset that could even be triggering something like that now, Mm -hmm. right? So I would really want to know more about her specific thoughts around the pandemic. Something obviously has changed for her, Mm -hmm. right? That Mm -hmm. this whole time, her whole life, she's done just fine. And then all of a sudden, everything seems very different all of a sudden. So Mm -hmm. just because it feels normal doesn't doesn't mean that you're reacting to it normally. I think that is very wise. I'm sending her to you. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not going to keep this woman stumped. Well, the the thing is, she, she does need somebody that, like you that has the qualifications to really dig deeper into that because the pandemic did a real number on all of us. And many of us, including myself, we don't even know what the number is that it's done on us yet. It might come up, might get triggered in six months. Who knows, right. you know? Yeah. How true is that? Well, you know, when you mentioned about this one that you said just now, let me look at it, learn how to deal with emotions because nobody has ever taught us. You're absolutely right. I was absolutely taught never to feel sad or lonely. What do you have to be sad about? Why Why are you crying? You should never cry. You have eyes, don't you? You know, just just being raised like that was really, and then you stuff your feelings and your emotions out and you have no clue why you're overreacting to something mm-hmm. one day. Yeah. So when you have a client that comes into you and and they really don't know why they're there, and just like the one you said, I have a great life. I have everything to be grateful for. Why am I so, still so depressed? What do you do with them? Do you have to just keep digging to find out the root? Yeah, you know, it's really similar things usually. It's usually is the shoulds, you know, the favorite therapist saying is you shouldn't shit on yourself. (laughs) I shouldn't feel sad because I have such a great life. I should feel grateful because my life is so good. You know, I should, should, should. Those are all typically like external factors that are driving those shoulds. You know, it's kind of like that good Catholic guilt, right? Like I feel like I should be doing this or I shouldn't be doing this or I should feel this way or shouldn't, right? Those things are driven from external motivators. They're not your voice. You're, there's something happening there that isn't saying like, I want to feel this way or um, I do feel this way. And so it's, I should. That's somebody else's voice in your head that's driving that. And so we definitely want to take a look at wh- whose voices are playing a role here and how do we get you back in touch with your own voice? How do we put you back in the driver's seat of your own life and getting what you want you know, starting to really look at what is it that I want out of my life instead of living for all these shoulds or for what other people want. Well, that's wonderful. You know, I, I can't even tell you how, how you're speaking to me because that's how I was raised. As Catholic, as you said, but I was talking to a girl. You know, there were a whole group of us, actually, and I was talking about Catholic guilt. And she said, don't talk to me about Catholic guilt. I'm an Italian. I have guilt. <laughs> the next girl said, hey. What about me? I'm Jewish. I have tons of guilt. <laughs> and then the last girl, Barb, said, I'm Polish. Well, trust me, I'm the leader of guilt. They, that's how I was taught growing up. So I think I think it. I love what you just said about whose voice are you listening to? Who? Because it's not you, that you that's talking right now. 
It's somebody else that's in the background. I don't know how in the world people get rid of those voices, but I, for me, uh, what I had to do was start writing affirmations. I don't, do you ever talk with people about affirmations? I do. I think that they're really powerful. Everybody hates it. Like if you pull that assignment out, everybody yes. hates it. That in journaling, everybody's there's an eye roll, and I'm yeah, sure your agreed. listeners are giving it to us right now. But there's some actual science that comes behind affirmations, right? And if I'm not going to break down all the neuroscience behind it, but if I can just put it into layman's terms, if you just think about whatever you focus on, you get more of, right? Mm -hmm. So I never give my clients the assignment of let's give you an affirmation of something that you don't believe at all. You know, if they're having a body image issue, I'm not going to say like, you know, I love my body. I have the sexiest body I've ever seen. That's going to be painful for you going through that process. Instead, we choose things that feel at least a little bit true, right? So choosing affirmations for you that are focusing on what you do want, focusing on what you do have, focusing on having gratitude for the things in your life. You know, if it's a body image and all you can think of is, I like my big toe. I've got a decent looking big toe. We're going to start mm -hmm. there. Like, mm -hmm. yes, you have a good big toe. And what about these strong legs that you you know, carry you every day and help you walk. Like, let's focus on the things that are working because there always is things that are working. Our brain is designed to look for the negative. It's designed to look for danger. You know, if you were living out in the Serengeti, you know, a few tens of thousands of years ago, you'd have lots of opportunities to find a carrot along the way, but you only get to miss one opportunity where you have the tiger stalking you and then you're done, right? Game over. So our brains are designed to look for negativity. They're designed to look for danger. So yes, there are things going wrong in your life every day, but there are positive things there too. And all we're looking to do with affirmations is rewire your brain to start looking for what's going well. Wow. You know, that's so, <laughs> the first time I heard about affirmations. Uh, I, there was a speaker on a stage doing a whole bunch of stuff about affirmations. And I went home to tell my dad, about this new wonderful thing I heard. And I, he said, now, wait a minute. I, he's Catholic now. <laughs> he said, that is not true. It is so stupid what you're saying. I can't believe what you're saying to me. Are you telling me that if I say I'm taller, I'm going to keep growing? Am I going to grow like to, to be six foot two or something? And I said, no, but here's what I think you will, I think will happen. If you keep saying to yourself, I feel so tall or I am so tall walking into this room of people or whatever. I, I have a feeling you're going to throw your shoulders back and you're going to lift your head and you're going to feel taller. Now, he could not understand that at all. <laughs> I loved the whole idea of, of affirmations. But what I like even more, Kama, is what you said. You kind of have to start with something that's realistic with people. Because if you don't, I mean, it's really difficult to say, I love uh, counting all my money on my desk or whatever, when you don't even have a nickel to your name. That's, mm -hmm. that's a really hard place to start. So what would you say to that person that really does not have anything in their bank? Well, like this lady that I'm talking about, uh, what would be an affirmation for her? Now, she has made it in the past, so she understands that, but yeah, I definitely think, you know, being able to step into the life that's waiting for you can be helpful, right? Which is, it's more of like having a vision a little bit more than maybe an affirmation. But 
when you're living in scarcity, so if we use the money example, right, all you have is a nickel to your name that, yeah, imagining like writing an affirmation about I'm so rich, I can hardly stand it, right, like right. probably mm-hmm. isn't going to feel great, right? Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. but stepping into feeling what it's going to feel like once the money does arrive feels amazing and feels so good and is really exciting, right? So one of the things we know about neuroscience is the way we can create, we can definitely create new neural pathways. That was kind of brand new information as I was finishing up with school. <laughs> we used to think the brain was like totally solid and done cooking once it was done. But now we know that we can create new neural pathways. We can create new ways of thinking. We can create new habits at any point in life. But the fastest way we create neural pathways is actually pairing it with emotion. So if you think about, you know, you're back out in the Serengeti and you're Mm. walking by a dark cave and a tiger jumps out at you, fear kicks in. And you forevermore know that walking by a dark cave is a very scary thing and you avoid it, right? You don't need to learn that lesson more than once. It's done. That neural pathway is very solid. But we don't tend to do that with positive emotions, right? We just think like, oh, I'll just say the same thing over and over again. But what we need to do is pair it with emotion, positive Mm -hmm. emotion, right? You need to feel that feeling of what that's going to feel like, you know, looking at your nickel here, but knowing that pretty soon more money is coming for you. Your bank account's going to be full. And what's that going to feel like? And get excited about it and step into that emotion because it's waiting for you. Money is just energy, right? It can happen. It's going to happen, but you're going to have to step out of scarcity, which is where Mm -hmm. you're living right now in order to make that happen. And how we do that is by stepping into this new emotion. It's kind of almost like, act as if, right? Like dress for the part. You're stepping into what this world is going to feel like, not just like think about it, but actually feel it inside of you. That's Mm -hmm. what makes the huge difference, especially around affirmations. So if you can actually feel it and connect with it, that's why I say I don't have clients start with things that, you know, they don't feel like could be true ever because they're not going to allow themselves to feel it. We've got to choose something that they can actually feel and step into. Mm -hmm. That's excellent. I've taken so many notes. I can't wait to share your golden nuggets with everybody. Uh, Kama, tell me if if you could. I really like to share with the audience a tangible tool that has helped you. And it might go back to the Jen Sincero book. I don't know. But what is a tangible tool that you could share with our audience that, that really changed your business and changed your life? Yeah, I think there was probably a couple. I think, you know, the first one was mindset. Initially, I didn't think my mindset was an issue. I thought I had a fine relationship with money. It was really breaking down. Like I didn't have a fine <laughs> mindset about relationships I had found out around the same time. So why not take a look at some of the other areas of my life that helped me really open my eyes to that? I thought I had a good relationship with the relationships, but I'd gone through a divorce and really discovered like I still had all these insecurities about my worth and all of that stuff. And so it was an exercise for me to step out and go like, okay, if I question my worth in relationships, like, again, on the surface level, I didn't at all. It was really on a much more deeper level, allowing myself to feel those really hard emotions where it came up for me. Then what other areas of my life might I be feeling this and not know it? And it was really allowing myself to get uncomfortable with my feelings around money. You know, what were you know, some messages I had from my family around money and taking a look at that. And what are some beliefs I have around my own money? And if I 
actually allowed myself to dream about like if I had all the money I want, right? Like every year I do a dream board. What would what would be some of those things? And if I could imagine, okay, so on my dream board, I love travel more than anything. So mine always has a ton of luxury travel on. <laughs> so mm-hmm. if I imagine okay. myself on a first class trip to Bora Bora, staying at an overwater bungalow at the St. Regis and like living it all up at, you know, probably, I don't even know, like $10,000 a night, whatever it is, like, what would that be like? And can I see myself actually there? And it immediately some discomfort came up for me of like, no, that's not possible. Right. <laughs> and it was those kind of exercises for me that allowed me to see, like, actually, I do have some problems with money and my mindset around money. So I definitely like the money mindset work was um, really key for me. I'd say the other really um, major shift I made that changed my business was I stopped start stopped treating it like what I call a jobby. <laughs> like it was kind of like a hobby that made money. it was just kind of fun and if I can back up now and really take a look at that what was happening for me is I was kind of afraid of failure and so I was just sort of treating it like a jobby like yeah sometimes it makes money and that's really fun and cool like what a great benefit but I'm I'm just helping people but this is just such a great benefit right I wasn't allowing myself to be really vulnerable and go all in and treat it like a job, like a business. Like I'm now a business owner running my business and this has to succeed and I'm going to make sure that it does. There's that saying of sometimes you have to burn the boats to, you know, to make sure that you take the island. And that was the moment for me that the the other moment that really created a lot of change is I stopped treating my business like a jobby. Oh, it's great. Great. And great. This was such valuable information, I can't even tell you. Came up, where can people get in touch with you? Yeah, so my website is just kamahurley.com. It's K-A-M-A-H-U-R-L-E-Y. Or you can find me on most social media at kamahurley. Uh, yeah, okay. and I'd love to connect. So please reach out, ask questions. I'm here. Love to, love yeah. to help in any way I can. And, and do you help people uh, from all over the world or do you stay in one area? Nope. In terms of coaching, I help people from all over the world. My counseling practice is kind of shrinking as I'm doing more coaching, but my counseling practice is really local to Idaho, um, where I'm based. Okay. All right. Well, I like to get at least three golden nuggets from every single guest. And today I have 17. (laughs) (laughs) So that tells you how valuable this was to all of us. It certainly, you just spoke with me for sure because of my Catholic upbringing. And yet somebody else, I, I don't mean to be putting any religion down because you, you could have been brought up as a Catholic and you're, you don't have any of the hangups that I might have or somebody else. So, so here are your golden nuggets, Kema. I think you'll be very impressed with yourself. <laughs> Number one, go back to your childhood because it will give you clues. That's what I do with people is take them all the way back to that common thread. Number two, mental wellness is king, not mental illness. Number three, Coaching is all about the future, the present and the future. I love that one. Number four, you don't have to be poor to help others. (laughs) Number five, look around. You might not be charging enough. I like that you started looking at your friends, actually, because that, that was a real mindset shift. Number six, ask yourself this question. What is my relationship to money? Number seven, 
What you think about comes about. Your thoughts create reality. Number eight, sometimes you can't see the possibilities. Number nine, learn to deal with emotions. We've been taught not to. Number 10, oh, I love this one because this is what I see a lot of us doing. Don't normalize the pandemic. Everything is unique to each person. Number 11, remember the word should. I love that one, should. Now tell me what you said again about the counselor that says should, you should all over, what did you say? <laughs> you, you shouldn't should on yourself. <laughs> Oh, that's, that's good. <laughs> Number 12, whose voice is talking to you? Just be aware of that. Number 13, neuroscience. There's a neuroscience behind affirmations. You can rewire your brain. Number 14, I don't even know which one I like the best out of all of these. Number 14, whatever you focus on, you will get more of. Number 15, our brains are designed to... Look for danger and negativity. I just have never thought about it that way. And then, and where am I at now? 16? <laughs> I've lost track. You should see my notes. They're just all over the place. 16, you can create new ways of thinking. And once you pair it with emotion, it becomes powerful. And number 17, act as if and dress the part before it actually happens. Now, aren't you brilliant, Kama? Just, I mean, so many good nuggets there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. I, I really listened. But if you could see my notebook, the last person I had on, she said, could I see those golden nuggets? Would you send them to me? And I, I'm like, I'm going to have to type them because you can't even read what I wrote. It, you know, I scribble <laughs> the things. Because when you were talking, Kama, the things that you were saying were so brilliant. I, every single minute that you spoke, it, it was brilliant. You've got to get out there and help millions more people. So remember, everybody, it's Kama Hurley, K-A-M-A-H-U-R-L-E-Y.com. It's her website. And you can reach her also on Instagram, Facebook, all of the social media places at Kama. And that's Kama with an M as in Mary, by the way, KamaHurley.com. Kama, thank you so much for being our guest today. You were just fabulous. Yeah, thank you. It was really fun. Yeah, thank you. Talk to you later. Until we meet again, everybody, Patricia Drain.